The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Well, if you're one of those people that have seen that before or not, it's good just to be reminded about certain aspects of the life of Paul. If you haven't been here, uh, Tim, just put a few lights on, can you? Because that's okay. Because otherwise I thought I'd lost the congregation. And I, was, <laughs> I was preaching into the, into the midair and I was wondering what was going on. Um, we've been looking at the life of Paul over the last a few weeks and the object of showing that video is just to give you some background to his life. We have to assume that not everybody knows everything about Paul. Not everybody knows about this man. We can come into church and we can be speaking about him. Oh, you know about this guy. And you think, well, no, actually, I don't. And so it's helpful for us to give some background and some understanding for everybody. Over the last few weeks, as I say, we've been looking into his life on this series, Keep the Faith, the Life of Paul. And today we're coming to the point, Paul the Missionary. But before we get to looking at Paul the Missionary, we're just going to look back at a couple of aspects of his life that we've already seen. We've looked at the fact that Paul started off as a Pharisee. He was a zealous, God-fearing man. A Pharisee was a particular stream of Judaism. There were three major streams. This was one of the streams of Judaism. And Paul was very, very exacting in it. I mean, let me quote to you from Galatians. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of of my fathers. So here he was giving himself to being a Pharisee, learning the law and obeying the law as he could. In Philippians it says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So he was a man who qualified in every way. He'd lived according to the law. He'd been brought up according to the law. He'd come from one of the tribes of Israel. And he was a zealous man, but he was persecuting the church. We've got to remember that the Pharisees loved God. And they sought to serve God. They sought to become right before God by the way that they lived their lives. Very exacting. I must remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. I must do no work on the Sabbath day. Things like that. And an actual fact, because you can get in that, well, that sounds good, but you can get to a point where you're taking it just a little bit too far. What does it mean not to do any work on the Sabbath? And we saw when Jesus came, he healed people on the Sabbath. And he actually said to the Pharisees, you've got a trouble. You, you're, you're questioning me about the fact that I heal people and do good for people on the Sabbath. And yet, if it had been one of your oxen that had fallen into the ditch, or one of your animals that got sick, you would go out and tend it. Why can't we care for one another? Now, I'm paraphrasing that a little bit, so if you're looking for the exact reference, you won't find it. But that gives you the understanding of what was going on in these times. Paul was a Pharisee. But this Pharisee, one day, had got letters 
from other leaders to go to Damascus and there to find any people of the way, as they were called, that is what we would say Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, to go and find them because he wanted to get hold of them, arrest them, and put them in jail. And so he is on the way to Damascus. He has an encounter on that road. As he's on the way, there is a light that shines around him. It says, a light that was brighter than the sun. Now, that's difficult for us to understand, especially on a day like you see the sun coming in through the window. It's bright light. This is brighter than that. Our God dwells in unapproachable light, is what it says. It's beyond even the light of the sun. So this amazing light came around him. We don't quite know what it looked like. It's just bright. But we do know this. Paul is on his knees, and he's hearing this voice, and he has an encounter with Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am the Lord who you are persecuting. This encounter is embarrassing for him. Why? Because Paul does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul does not want to have anything to do with Jesus. Paul does not believe he is the Messiah that these Christians are proclaiming. Paul is wanting to destroy the followers who are following this Jesus. And now this Jesus has met with him. This Jesus has come to alter his life. Now, God, now Paul is being forced into what is literally a, a metamorphosis, a complete change. Metamorphosis is what we talk about when the pupa of a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. There is a complete transformation. And Paul's life is going through a complete transformation. This is not a makeover, like you see on TV, just like they do your hair and they change your clothes and they make you look smart. This is internal. All of the thought processes, the way that he had been taught to live his life was now being changed. Let me just say, not the God that he served. This is where it starts to get a little bit difficult. What? Well, he changed everything, didn't he? Not the God he served. He served Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of all the earth. That was the same. So it wasn't changing the God he was serving, but he was changing the way of his life that God was calling him to, to follow. He was changing the ways of his life. You know what? We all have ways. There are certain patterns of behavior that we go through. We like to sit down and watch such and such a TV program. We like to eat such and such a meal. We like to sit down, I don't know, three o'clock and have a cup of tea or something. There's little patterns of behavior. And when those patterns get disrupted, we don't like it. Because this is what I always do. This is the way it should be. Now, that's a silly way of looking at things, but there are ways in our lives that we're very used to, and suddenly Paul's ways of life were being completely turned upside down. He'd met Jesus, and Jesus had literally shaken his life, and now he had to move on from there. So what next? I just want to talk to you briefly about what I call the in-between years, because we've had this encounter. Now, when we have encounters, we'd expect everything to change. And in one sense, everything did change. Everything did change. But Paul went back to Damascus. He was blind after this encounter. And as we looked at last week, this dear Christian man, Ananias, came to him and prayed for him. And Paul regained his sight. He was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Ananias went off. Paul actually went out preaching. But before long, he went away from Damascus down into Arabia. 
It says this, but when God called me so that I might preach to him, uh, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So having had this encounter, he was in Damascus for a short while, then he leaves Damascus and he goes down into Arabia. That is where the Sinai Peninsula were, where the Gulf states are, down towards that way. So he went downwards. Now, we'll see in a map in a minute. His hometown was up top. His, uh, uh, You've got Jerusalem at the bottom of the map. He went down below there. That's, that's all you need to know. He went down. So he's now down in Arabia, and he's spending time there. He's spending about three years down in that area. And then he returned from there to Jerusalem. As he gets back to Jerusalem, he starts to preach the gospel again to those people that he meets. So he's talking to them about Jesus. He's being very energetic in his way of talking. In fact, we've probably seen something of the mindset or rather, we did see something of the mindset of Paul's change. You know when he writes in Romans chapter, chapter 12, when I say you know, let me just read it to you. Romans 12. I just thought of this this week. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 read like this. Sorry, I was reading Corinthians 1 chapter 12 and I realised that wasn't the same. It reads like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act, act of worship. Listen to this verse, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's not just writing to us as Christians now this message. This is what he's been going through. He's having to be transformed by renewing the way that he's having to think. This, he had to do this. Now, as part of this happened in Arabia while he was away. He's having his mind renewed. He's having to think differently. Then he goes on to say, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his perfect and pleasing will, his good, perfect and pleasing will. And so we can see that this is the sort of thing that Paul had been going through. He's come back from Arabia three years. He's come back to Jerusalem. Starts, uh, sorry, back to Damascus. He starts preaching the gospel. However, as he is preaching, trouble arises again. In actual fact, it says in Acts that people wanted to murder him. The Jews wanted to murder him. And I was thinking to myself, well, three years is a bit of a while, but you know, like, you've had problems with this guy, Paul. Now he's gone away. Oh, that's good. And life carries on as normal. Then suddenly, year passes, two years pass, nothing, and suddenly this guy's back. And you know what it's like? It's like everything goes back to how it was before. We're not having this. We don't want this guy preaching against the, Jude the Jews. We don't want... So uproar comes. And this is where we read in Acts about how the disciples take him. They put Paul in a basket and they literally lower him over the city wall so that he can escape from being murdered. And this time he goes to Jerusalem. So he goes up to Jerusalem, and there he actually meets with some of the apostles. It is in Jerusalem that he meets uh, Barnabas, and he, Barnabas introduces him to some of the apostles. But then, unfortunately, he goes away again. This time, he goes down to, back to his hometown 
in Tarsus. Let me just read this. Paul went up to Jerusalem. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews. Another problem arose. They tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. Paul now goes back to his hometown and actually he spends eight years there. Now when, it was, when he was in Arabia, or whether it was there, or whether it was when he spent this eight years back in Tarsus, this is a period of time when he was changing his mind, reading the scriptures, re-going through what his philosophies were, what his ways were, what his theology was, if you like, and so he was being changed. Again, let me read a couple of scriptures from Ephesians to you. In Ephesians 3, Paul says this, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Let's just have a look at the map, that map again that you put up. I haven't got a pointer. Um, mm. You see that little... No, not that... Yeah, a little pointer, that was it. The, the first one. The, no, not this one, the other one. That's it, that's the one. Uh, if you look right at the very top, you have one of those uh, pins from a Google map, right up by Tarsus, if you can see that. And I've got a pointer on its way to me. Study the Google map for a moment. Orange. Orange. Thank you. There we are. Just up here. So this is Tarsus. This is where Paul was. I just want to point out to you, this place here, Antakya, is actually Antioch. You just need it around round the water. Tarsus, Antioch. You'll need to know that for a little bit later on. Paul is now staying back in Tarsus. Eight years he spends here. What gets me is... What about that Damascus Road encounter? What about what God spoke to you then? What did he say? God said to him, I'm, I, I want you to go to the Gentiles. I want you to take them out of darkness and bring them into light. I'm going to save you from your people and from them. I want you to go and do this work for me. So you can imagine that massive encounter, that massive mindset change, all that he's gone through, and what has he done? He spent three years in Arabia, and now he spent eight years back in his hometown. It just made me think about ourselves. You know that encounter you had with God? You know that time when you thought everything was going to change? You know when you thought, right, this is it, my ministry, my reason for being on earth is now about to take off. I'm about to do all the things that God wants me to do. I feel as though God's really put something in my heart to do for him. And then what happens? Nothing. That's what Paul had. And as I was looking at this, I was thinking, he's had to spend basically 11 and a half years, between 11 and 12 years, so let's say 11 and a half years, 
really just spending time with God, just having to do the ordinary things as a Christian, just praying and seeking and gaining revelation, yes, so he'd had encouragement, but where is the fulfillment of his life? It isn't. It's just every day. And I take that as an encouragement, and I think we need to listen to this, because so often we dismiss the everyday life that we go through. So often we think like, well, if only I was like so-and-so, or if only I had another encounter, if only this happened to me, then I really would be something. But we forget that God is at work each and every day in our lives. And he is doing his work, and he has purpose in what he's doing. So the days that seem boring sometimes, the days when it seems difficult to pray but you're still trying to do so, the days when you're reading the Bible and it's good but you're still hoping that something great is going to happen with your existence, God is still at work. He's working his purposes out. He is on his throne, he knows what he is doing and he is sorting things out. For Paul, it was time in Tarsus. The weeks went by, the months went by, the years went by and he was being faithful, and he was finding out new information, but there was no fulfillment of what God had spoken to him. Listen, if God has spoken, listen to this, he is faithful to accomplish what he has spoken to you. And we need to be encouraged with those things. Sometimes we literally need to sit ourselves down and take stock, what is it that I feel that God has spoken to me? What are the things that he still wants to do? I will remain faithful today that he may fulfill his work in my life and that he may be glorified. Because that is ultimately what happened with Paul, but not what we see happening for a number of years. So this 11 and a half years that has passed since this Damascus Road encounter, since this meeting with Jesus Christ, and yet still life is fairly normal. Well, okay, he's not a Pharisee, he's a Christian. And there must have been all sorts of family tensions, because don't forget, he was the son of a Pharisee. So you can imagine, as now, somebody who's saying Jesus is the Messiah has gone back home. wonder what happened with his family. I wonder what sort of arguments there were. I wonder what sort of fallouts. I wonder what sort of difficulties. He wasn't the only one that has experienced those things. We experience those things. And we think, like, well, it's all right for him. It was not all right for him. I feel as though he must have gone through some really difficult times during this period of time. But he had to trust God. And you know, guess what? We have to trust God too. We have to trust him through all of the difficult things. So we've gone through all of these experiences, and now today, we're looking at Paul the missionary. Yeah, that's what I... I think, let's just, uh, just a second on that one. Paul the missionary, I'm going to read these scriptures. We got to Acts chapter 11. If you were going to go through Acts, we're now at Acts chapter 11. I'll read a little bit about what's happened. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They went to Antioch, and they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news of Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So we're now reading about what has happened in the intermediate time. When Saul uh, saw Stephen being killed, from that time persecution arises in the church in Jerusalem. People, Christians, Jews, and some who had become Christians who were not Jews, 
has started taking the message out. They've gone up to Antioch in Turkey. They've started telling people, not just Jews, but also non-Jews. Don't forget, the Jews only wanted to share the message with the Jews. If you're a Jew, that's a good thing. If you're a Gentile, you're to somebody else. So now the message is going out to the somebody else's as well. This news gets back to Jerusalem. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So now the church in Jerusalem is hearing. They're excited. People are becoming believers up there in Antioch. Let's do something about it. They send this guy, Barnabas, and he goes all the way up to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Paul went to Tarsus, and as you saw on the map, it's just literally round the bay. So he went from Antioch. He remembers, I remember this guy, Paul. I remember when he came to Jerusalem. And he lives up here somewhere. He's a good guy. Now he knows all about Jesus. He's a Jew. He's got good background. Let me go and get him. So Barnabas remembers him. He goes to Antioch and he brings him back down. Now you can imagine what Paul felt like. Is this the beginning of something? Maybe it's going to be good. He comes down to Antioch, and then with Barnabas, they are allowed to preach to the people in the city there. And there's joy in what they're doing. There's encouragement in what they're doing. They're having a good time together. When he found him, he brought him down to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met... You know this thing, Saul and Paul are both the same person. Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So now we have Jews, Gentiles, who've come to know Jesus, and they're now called Christians, and there's a church growing in Antioch, and things are going well. During one of the times when the leaders were getting together of this church, we read this. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and who had been brought up with Herod, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they had fast, when they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, folks, this is now 12 and a half years since the Damascus Road. 12 and a half years, and finally something is happening. It's like, God, you've woken up. You've remembered me, and now I'm on my way. So at this point, Paul starts his missionary journeys. Now, let's go back to the map of the missionary journeys, please, Shay. Not that one, the other one. So it's easy to say that. When you're in front of that screen, it's a nightmare, okay? So we bless Shay for this. I'm just showing you this because all of those lines on there show the journeys that Paul made uh, taking the gospel all over Turkey, modern-day Turkey, this area here is modern-day Turkey. Greece is up here. Italy, other parts of the world around here. Um, he went all over that place taking the gospel. That's just all you need to know about the missionary journeys today. He went lots of places. Okay, Shay, we're going to move on to our next three points, uh, which are, yes, you can put all three of them up together. Right. Paul the missionary. Now, this is what I want to talk to you about, really, today. 
You know, what prompted me to even start speaking about this whole series was one day we were reading the scriptures during one of our prayer times and we were reading through Acts and we were reading the life of Paul and as we were reading through the chapters, I suddenly thought to myself, this guy Paul, there's one thing I noticed, he's absolutely steadfast no matter what happens to him. And it just struck me. And through that, I thought, I want to preach on this. So in effect, right now, this first point is really the whole reason why I wanted to preach this whole series. And yet, there's more to come. He believed. The thing that we see about Paul, through all that we've been through to this point, is this. He believed. He trusted that God was watching over him, and he trusted and believed that God could help him. It's very simple. But the thing is, he believed that. He took hold of it. And when you see the things that he went through on all of those journeys, when he went all around that area to all different places and experienced all different things, when he goes to Philippi, he gets caught, he casts out a demon out of a slave girl, the next thing he knows, he's in jail, and he's there with his friend Silas, their ear feet are in the stocks, and it's midnight, they have been beaten, severely is what the word says, and yet at midnight, they're singing praises to God, as if, no, this is fine. Listen, you don't do that unless you trust in the fact that God knows what he's doing. Because as far as we're concerned, it's disaster. Everything's gone wrong. My mission is not accomplished. I can't do the things I was wanting to do. But Paul teaches us this. I will believe that God knows what he's doing and he is watching over me despite the circumstances. And it struck me particularly because when he is at the end of his life, as it were, when he's going off on this trip to be taken off to, uh, to Rome to stand before Caesar and to, the, uh, to sort out the problems that have come to him, He's on the boat, and if you know the story, he's on this boat, and suddenly a storm arises, and there's a great storm that lasts for many days, and he's being blown, and they don't know where, across the Mediterranean Sea. They don't know what's going to happen. They're fearing for their lives. Day after day after day, this happens. And Paul stands up before the people and says, listen, my God's spoken to me. We're going to be okay. We're going to survive. The the boat's going to get lost, but we're going to survive. What would you do in that circumstance? Oh, great, God's spoken. Or are you still thinking, like, are we going to make it? So eventually it happens, as Paul had said, the boat runs aground, it gets broken up, but they're on an island, and they manage to get off the boat, shipwrecked, and they get to the... Uh, everyone on board is safe. They get through the water, soaking wet on a rainy day, to the coast of Malta. And the islanders come to greet them because they've seen what's happened. The islanders gather them around, the islanders start a fire. And what do you do when you're freezing cold? You help. You help get wood on the fire. So Paul picks up a whole pile of brushwood and he puts it on the fire. As he puts it on the fire, a viper comes out of it and gets hold of his hand. So I'm reading this, I'm thinking, like, this is ridiculous. This is not a good day. I've just been shipwrecked. I have just been shipwrecked. We just got through this. We made it here. We're soaking wet. We want to dry out. And now he's got a snake hanging off his hand. Now all the islanders see the snake and they think, this man's a murderer. He's got his punishment. Because they know it, the type of people that are on the boat. Because they've got the Roman soldiers there. They know that they're prisoners. They know that some of them are sailors, but they're prisoners as well. And so they've got all these ideas going through their mind. What do you do? For Paul, he shakes the snake off, 
and he just carries on as if nothing's happened. Now, I'm not saying that he shouldn't have gone to a doctor. I don't know about that. But I do know this, is that God overruled in his life. That's what I know. And I know that in the midst of what is going on with him, the mess that keeps coming up against him, or the so-called mess, as we might think of it, the so-called difficulties that come to his life, he simply believes in God and trusts in him that God is going to accomplish what he has said he is going to accomplish. He trusts him. He believes him. He lays hold of God. And he, he does it in a way which is so simple, so ordinary, he just gets on with life. Folks, are we getting on with life? Are we trusting God? Or are we really moaning and groaning and thinking that God doesn't care and he doesn't know and he can't see? Or are we believing that God is actually in every circumstance? I don't know what you could say like, well, Paul was in a, you know, a shipwreck. I'm just having an argument with my husband or my boss or work isn't going well or if only my partner would do things in a different way and you don't understand you don't understand the life that I'm going through you're right I don't understand the life you're going through do you want to understand my life do you want to hear about my problems no you don't you're too busy worrying about your own problems listen we don't have problems we have a God who is over our lives and we need to trust him trust him do you know why he sends problems to change you you got a lot of problems Perhaps, I'm not saying it is, but perhaps it's because God perceives there's a lot of change that he wants to bring into your life. A lot of change. He gives you a difficult partner because he wants to teach you patience. I know it doesn't seem fair, I understand that. But God's ways are beyond our ways. And what I've realised this is, we keep trying in our own way to understand if only I understood, then everything would be all right. If I could understand why I am facing this, then maybe I'd persevere. But that isn't the way that God works. God just sends and asks you to trust him. So what God is asking of us, really, at times, is to say, look, stop trying to work it out. Just trust me. Let my word come into you. Believe in me, because I am the one who's able to take you through. That's what we see with Paul. It's exemplified. Would you have been singing praises in the, in the jail at Philippi? I'm not sure that I would have done. I might have been praying, God, get me out of here. But you see, there's a different level. Praying about yourself is different from saying, you are the Lord, and you are worthy of praise. You are to be lifted up. You are to be glorified. You know what you can do. You can do anything you want to do. And what happened in that jail was that God did what he wanted to do, which was to bring salvation to the jail leader. And he did it by sending an earthquake, causing the chains to fall off Paul's feet. He brought transformation because God did what he was able to do. You know what I think? I think far too often I seek to do what I am able to do. God's not asking me to do that. God's asking me to let some of my thinking go. doesn't mean I've got to become stupid, but he's asking me to say, stop worrying. Stop worrying about the things you have no control over. You know, we have a tendency, because if we can control something, then we can own it, and then we can actually make it fit in the way that we want it to fit, to make us feel better. 
And that control is taken away from us. God is in control. And he shows it through these things. But we don't like it because it stirs us and it it causes difficulties in us. What God is saying is, in effect, he's saying, stop worrying, start trusting. Start trusting in me. I am able to see you through. Do you know who I am? I am the creator of all things. I am the one who understands how the universe fits together. Now, I know there's some people in the world who purport to know how the universe fits together, but God is the one who actually holds it together, and he is the one who knows how to position all things to make his purposes and his will come to to fruition. He is able to do far abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. Paul believed in God, and he trusted in God. The word of God says this in Luke 12, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. Now, he was just using an example of a market where in a marketplace in this time, there were little birds being sold. And he's saying, listen, not one of those birds even falls to the ground without God knowing about it. So why are you worrying about different things? Can you actually add any length of time to your life? No. In fact, people say if we worry, we could be diminishing the number of years that we have. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not as though I go through life and I don't get concerned or wound up or worried about anything. I do. Because there's a humanity about us. But what I am saying is this, is that God is asking us to look at the life of the people in the scriptures, look at the life of somebody like Paul, and to learn from it and to say, listen, we've got to trust God before worrying. If you're going to do something, it's not worry first and then sort it out later. It's trust God first and ask him to help you through it. That's that's what we've got to do. We've got to make a change. So what we see here is that Paul believed Why do things happen? You know, something happened to me this week, which is quite amusing. I was being helpful. I was being helpful, and I was doing the right thing, I thought. I was helping out John, who was actually just defrosting our fridge upstairs. Thick piece of ice on the back of the fridge in the kitchen. Needed to be defrosted. John had opened the door, switched the electricity off. Warm air was circulating, as you do. I thought, I'll help. Surely if we could prise a bit of that off, it would come off. So we got a knife. We prized off. No, no, no. We prized off. John, didn't we get a huge piece of ice off the back? We did. There was just a small piece left. So I just, I thought, when you're using a knife for the fridge, for goodness sake, go carefully. So I did. And John would be my witness. And everything was going well as I was just easing this until I heard the sound of gas escaping. At that point, I knew that disaster had come to my life and to the life of the fridge. At that very moment, I suddenly, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, I'm now, I'm not in jail, and my feet are not in stocks, but I have got a knife in my hand, and there is gas escaping from the fridge. It's broken. I did come and confess to Clive fairly quickly. But you know what, a stupid example in one sense, I know, But nevertheless, I thought, I don't want that to happen. I was only seeking to do good. I don't know. Do you know what? I don't understand even why it happened or what the purposes are. I have no idea. But I'm asking God to help me through it. 
Now, it's a silly example, I know. But you know what? A silly example, this is everyday life. We all go through things. Why did that have to happen? Why did the heel fall off my shoe on the way to work? I don't know. If it did, ladies, that's a prophetic word for you, or not a prophetic <laughs> word. I'm just sympathising with you if that happened. I don't know why these things happen. Why was the bus late when you're trying to go to the interview that's so important to you? I don't know, but God does. He knows because he's planned it and he wants us to trust him. To trust him. Without faith it is impossible to please him. That's what the word of God says. But with faith all things are possible. And we want to believe in him. Paul, he believed. Secondly, Paul the missionary, and these are things just to show us about this whole thing of his life, what he accomplished. Paul the missionary, he trusted. Second point, he went. Most of us would be surprised. No, we wouldn't be surprised. Paul, what I mean by this is that when he heard what he had to do, or when it opened up for him, Paul went with the gospel. Most of us here would know about the Great Commission, The Great Commission is in Scripture where Jesus is saying to the church or to the disciples and to the church, go. Go into all the world, preach the good news, make disciples of all nations, baptise them, teach them the things that I've been teaching you. That's what we need to do. And we understand that. That's our calling. That's our mission that has been given to us. We're told to go. Well, what with Paul? He went. This is the challenge I've got. We're told to go, Paul went. Where does that leave us? We're told to go. Now, to go somewhere doesn't necessarily mean we've got to go to India or something like that. We can go to our neighbours, we can go to our world, but what we do need to do is take the gospel. If we're going to go, we need to have something to go with, because we can go to lots of different places But unless we're going to take the seed of the gospel, then we're we're going to have gone somewhere but not have anything to give to people. I've been thinking about this and I thought to myself, you know, that's what I've done. I've been to many places. But I don't know where I've always gone with the seed to those places. So you can say I've been to, you know, all different parts of England. I've been to different people's offices. I've met different people on the streets. So I've met, I've gone but I haven't taken seed with me to leave with those people. So I'm, um, when I say seed, I'm talking about the message of the gospel. The fact that people need to repent of their sins. The fact that they need to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The fact that they need to walk in his ways. That's the, a very simple gospel message. But there's something that we want to bring to people because we have something that other people do not have. There is a peace that resides over your life as a believer that people who do not believe in Jesus Christ and have not given their lives to him, they do not understand or know. They live without it. But we don't live without it. We live with it and sometimes we take it for granted. And we think, like, well, that's just the way life is. We don't know how blessed we actually are. Paul went out with the gospel, and he loved to go to places where nobody else had been so that he could tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. He could explain to them that Jesus was the Messiah that had been promised, that he is the one who is able to forgive our sins, he is the one who is able to give us the right way to live if we trust in him. And he loved to do that. We need to do the same. 
I'm thinking to myself, well, Jonathan, how often do you go out and actually give the gospel to people? And I think the answer to that would be, well, whenever I've got the opportunity and somebody asks, I will be ready to actually give it to them. You understand that? Because I think we would all say that. Is that enough? It's a question I'm asking. You see, where we go, what Jesus really wants of us is that we go sharing the gospel wherever we go. You look at the life of Paul the missionary. He went all of these different places. What did he do? He shared the gospel of Jesus wherever he went. Did it cause problems? Yes. Did he have to trust God through it? Yes. Did God see him through? Yes. Did it turn out the way that Paul wanted all the time? No, it didn't. But who was in control, Paul or God? God. Because God was working his purposes out. And if we trust in God, God is able to work his purposes out. Let me give you some encouragement. This week, I took this message. I was, I was really encouraged. I had the opportunity on Monday evening to go and preach to Curry Union. So we've got a group of people there. I'm going there to preach the gospel. I'm going to tell these people. So I'd had a couple of little uh, illustrations, and I had a great time speaking to about 30 guys, uh, and ladies and men, about the gospel. There wasn't a response in, in, that was obvious, but it was good. So I thought, well, that's good. Now, what other opportunities have I got this week? So Tuesday, Tuesday, I was in the office here, and I'm in the front office where Margaret and Julia are, and out the window, you can see somebody's parked their car. Now, you know what? We get people who park on our drive. I don't know what possesses them to do this when they see our cars parked there, but people sometimes just park their car there, and they think, oh, I'll go off and buy a McDonald's or get a KFC or this particular person as I discovered, had gone into Maplin's. Now, I saw the car there, and I said, well, it's not fair, is it? And we've got a chain across the drive, so I'm going to go and put the chain across the drive. So that when he comes back, whoever it is, they've got to think, why did I park there? Now, that's not too unchristian, I don't think. So <laughs> I've got in my hand the chain, and I'm just clicking it into place. No, 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 I I'm coming, so this voice, you see. So I said, good, is this your car? Yes, I said, why did you park here? Now, I have learned from past experience, and I should remember this, that when you catch somebody who's done something wrong, they never say they've done anything wrong, but they're, they're very aggressive. So there was a moment of aggression. And I can feel it, because suddenly you've got adrenaline rushing around your body. You know, I can feel it. And then I'm thinking to myself, I've got an opportunity here to share the gospel. And no kidding, no kidding, I said to the bloke, I said, okay, let's forget about this. Please don't park here again. It's private property. Let's forget about this. I want to tell you um, that, you know, that Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. And I said a few words. I mean, it was rubbish, really. Well, it wasn't rubbish, because we believe it, but it was a poor situation. And the guy was looking at me like, as though, <laughs> who is this guy? What's going on? But I say that to encourage you. Look, there's, I could have just said to him nothing. I managed to get out a few words of seed. A few words of seed. That just helped a little bit. But don't worry, it didn't stop there. Because in my mind, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, like, we want to give the good news. Paul went, and how are we going to see people saved unless they hear the gospel? They're not going to get saved. I realise now, I don't have very good seed, because seed is like, I know what I could say. It's like having a few phrases that you could say. 
that they sound a bit rote, they sound a bit, but God can use that. But the key thing is this, if people do not hear the gospel, they are not going to be saved. And here's another key we need to remember, people are waiting to hear the gospel. They may not show that. This guy didn't show that he was waiting to hear the gospel. He didn't say, excuse me, sir, I know I parked on your church drive, and I know I might have offended you, but please, will you tell me what it is you believe? Because I'm here, and this is what an opportunity is. He didn't say any of that. I took that upon myself to say to him, you need to find salvation. As I say, it was tense. I can't, there was another, oh yes, Friday. Friday, another opportunity arose. Friday, I'm in my office upstairs. There's Churchill Way down here. Uh, Metro Bank have been having a lot of work done. There was a big lorry there, and they were delivering some uh, generators. And this lorry has got a crane, and he's had to put out sort of feet at the side of the lorry, and the crane is there lifting things off. This completely blocks the road. And he'd been there for five minutes at least, and he was working this through, and you could see, it's obvious, he was going to be taking off both of these big pieces of equipment. And so it was going to be a bit longer. And then there was a guy who came up here in his car and was having to wait. And I thought, that's sad. Because it's you know, it is annoying. When you see, like, it's not going to be five minutes. This is going to be 15 minutes. You could sense that. Anyway, I'd seen it and was watching. I saw a bit of the crane. That was quite good, you know, fine. There's the guy who's doing it. He's got a sort of remote control. A bit of sort of like kid stuff, quite fun. And I went back to work, so I was sitting back at my desk, and suddenly I hear the hooter of this guy in the car. And he doesn't go, beep, beep. He goes, beep. And, and, it, and it goes on and on for so long it's embarrassing. You, you know, you think, like, oh, no, 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 it's not good. And then it stopped, and I thought, okay, you've probably got it out of your system. And then a couple of minutes later, it comes back on again. So I'm now at the window looking down at what's going on, thinking, like, you're obviously getting upset. The guy who's just carrying on doing his work, because he knows he's just got to get on and do it and stuff like that. Then the guy in the car, this is it. Out of the car. And the guy who was, I should say this, the guy who was operating the crane was bored like me. Okay. Out of the car window comes these words. Oi, you effing bald sea, what do you think you're doing? I thought, gosh, this is getting a bit rich now. And then the bloke who's doing operating, he says, what did you say? Why don't you come here and say that? And you know, the atmosphere now is electric. I know that Jacob in his room was watching out the window as well. <laughs> I came downstairs, I thought, I'm going to go and sort this out. I'm going to speak to them, because this is going to kick off now. So I went down, I looked at, I was about to say to Julia in the front office, I'm going outside, and she wasn't there. Had I known, she was inside looking out the window as well. <laughs> I didn't know that. So I went to this car and I started to speak to the guy because the guy was sitting in the car. He hadn't got out of the car. Probably because he thought the other guy, the bald guy, was quite big, you know. <laughs> and he just, I said, what's the problem? Wow, it's all coming out. He's shouting at me. I said, listen, I just come here to say I sympathize with you. And he was going off and off. I've got to go to work. I've been here for half an hour. I said, you haven't been here for half an hour. I said, I've been watching. He said, I've been stuck up there. I've had to drop my daughter off. Everything's going on. And all of this stuff is happening. I said to him, in the name of Jesus, be quiet. He said, I don't care the name of whatever. He's going off and off. I said, I take authority over this anger in the name of Jesus. I'm saying things and I'm thinking, like, why am I saying this? This could be dangerous. 
he calms down a bit and I speak to him and I says, listen, I'm a pastor of a church here. You've had a rubbish day. Things have not been good. Things are not looking good. But I says, I doesn't, it doesn't mean to say that the rest of the day can't be better than what it is right now. And he, as he's beginning to talk, he's, he, he knows that he's been too angry. He knows because he's saying these things to me. And I says, look, I understand. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to judge you at all. I would be annoyed if I was in your situation, but it's not getting us anywhere. You need peace. Let me pray for you. So I prayed for him. And I'm looking at him. I closed my eyes because I'm embarrassed, but he's not. So he's looking at me, so I thought, well, I might as well open my eyes. <laughs> so I'm looking at him. He's looking at me, and I'm just saying, in the name of Jesus, I proclaim blessing over your life that the rest of this day will be better than what it has been so far. And he came to rest and I walked away from that situation and he was peaceful. It wasn't enough seed. I could have said to him, maybe more, but I didn't. Because he needs to hear the gospel because he's lost. Paul went, but he went with something. And we need to go with something. Everywhere. Everybody in this room there are people that we can encounter this week. And you know what? Right now you're thinking, I don't know what to say. I don't know who they're going to be. And I don't know how to approach it. Guess what? That's where I was. Exactly the same. And have I got stories of being messed up, you know, fridges broken and people arguing and shouting and stuff? Yes. Then we've got roofers come in to fix the roof because we had a leak in the roof. They come in. So I'm talking to that bloke and I'm thinking, like, could I share the gospel? I don't know what, you know... And, and I didn't, but I did have this conversation. I'm speaking to the guy, and he suddenly says to me, I was in Barcelona two days ago. That's what he just said. I was in Barcelona two days ago, because you know what he was thinking? He was thinking, I'm a very lucky man. I was in that street where that happened. Two, two days ago, I was there. I was in the restaurants. I was on the bars. So I says, well, what street is this? What's it like there? Says, it's like the Oxford Street, but this is in Barcelona. Everybody's there. Everybody goes there. And suddenly you've got what you've read in the paper that morning and what has been happening, and this guy missed it by two days. And he says, I'm a very lucky man. I've got somebody watching over me. My guardian angel, I says, you're right. God has been protecting your life. He says, I know. See how situations open up? Did I share with him the gospel? No, because I didn't know what to say. I need to train myself, and you and I need to be trained. But there's opportunities, folks, and I tell you this. A time is coming, and I prophesy that it is coming now, when we will take the gospel. We will take the gospel. Faltering, messy. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to get it all right. We don't have to know what to say. We have to believe that we have a God who has put us on assignment and a mission, just like Paul and to be ready. Are there going to be consequences? Let me ask you, were there consequences for Paul? Yes. But who was victorious? Jesus. Jesus. That's the thing. I have got a third point. I'll just say this very briefly. That he died. There was a key to this. There is a massive key to this. Paul had died to himself. Who he was which he was so proud of, he came to a point where he says, whatever I had, I consider as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. 
In fact, I consider all things as lost for the sake of knowing him, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. That's what he says. It says in Galatians 3.20 or 2.20, I can't remember. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Folks, when you get to that point, as he did, what does it matter? What does it matter what people think of me? What does it matter about a reputation that I might have here on earth? I'm having a reputation in heaven. And that's where I want my reputation. And I say to you, this, this, is, this has to change in my life. I want to see fruit from people being saved. But people can't be saved unless they hear the message. And guess what? We are all the messengers. It's not a position that I want to take up. I want to say, like, Yomi, this is, we, we elect you to be our messenger. Or, or Samuel, we elect you to be our messenger. And you do the work for us, and we'll pray. The Bible says, go ye, go into all nations and take the gospel. Every one of us. Every one of you could be speaking to the person who you're standing next to at the bus stop. And you know what you think? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say either. But we need to learn to say something and to bring that something towards the gospel message. I shared with the men uh, at Curry Union, I took a door handle in with me and I said this, guys, there's a door handle on our hearts, but there's only one handle and it's on the inside. And we all know that we have a door handle because we all know that we let certain people into our lives and other people we close out. But listen, you need to turn the door handle and let Jesus come into your life because he stands at the door and knocks. If anyone will open the door, he will come in and he will eat with them and he will bring his life to them. But if the door remains shut, how can Jesus come in? And we can take messages like that. It's not my words, it's the words of what the Holy Spirit can do. But unless we have died to ourselves, if we're still living for me and the advancement of me and the advancement of my kingdom, then God can't use us in the same way that he wants to. But when we've learned to die and we say, look, it doesn't matter if I live or die, what matters is that the God, the God, God's glory is actually comes to pass and that he can do his work. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's lots more that we could say and bits that we perhaps have, should have said. Let me just read this final scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. So Paul, yes, writing, he's writing to the Corinthians to encourage them with this. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised to life again. We must live for him and for his purposes. Amen.